Hello, party people. Season five of Law and Candor is finally here. We know that you've been waiting for a long time for this new season to launch. For those of you who may be new to the show, Law and Candor is the podcast wholly devoted to pursuing the legal technology revolution. I'm Rob Hellowell, and I'm here with my co-host, Bill Mariano. Welcome to the show. We're glad to have you back. So to kick off season five, we want to start with one of our favorite parts of the show. Sightings of Radical Brilliance. And as the name implies, this is the part of the show where we bring to you some of the latest news around notable innovation or technology and other acts of sheer genius. Yeah, and for today's sightings, we want to talk about an article around thought leadership published by Baker Botts around federal expedited review in response to COVID-19. This is interesting stuff. This just came out in July. And it, Rob, Rob, you and I were just talking about this. It's it's interesting in that it, it sort of gives you a, an, a, an ability to get cer- certain things by the federal government expedited through through the review pro- process and compliance, kind of. I mean, it makes sense. You know, you have some kind of a national emergency like COVID and, you know, you want to encourage innovation. You want to encourage, you know, whether it's vaccines or or you know, issues with the supply chain, and you got to give companies some kind of leeway to do things that maybe they couldn't typically do. But there's always a but. Yeah, and that, that's where this comes. That's where this got interesting, right? And Baker Botts does a great job outlining this. You know, so expedited review may lower the bar for immediate compliance, but may not constitute permanent waiver. So I mean, what? <laughs> so it really it gives you that sort of like, all right, great. Due to extenuating circumstances, we didn't have to go through the arduous typical review process for whatever it is that we're, we're submitting to the federal government for review. However, we're not sure if we're in compliance. And when COVID's over, they might come back to get their pound of flesh. Yeah. And what's interesting about it is like the program like impacts a lot of different agencies. You know, the Patent and Trademark Office, the SEC, the FDA, even the DOJ and the FTC. Like, you know, like the scope of this is actually quite broad. But like you said, the the longer term, you know, unintended consequences really aren't known. And that I, I think everybody wants to find a cure for COVID. Everyone wants to do the right thing. But that's a little scary just kind of having that lurk in the background. Well, they're, they're straight up saying they're reserving the right for federal law enforcement for federal enforcement in the future. Yeah. Right. So so it's it, you know, it's it, be careful what you do. Uh, we still may come back on this. So, um, you know, I, I wouldn't go jumping the gun just yet, but we're going to allow you to pass review for now under this lower standard. Yep. Yeah, it'll be in- interesting to see how, you know, it sort of turns out in the long term. I mean, but but if you think about it, like I read an article recently that said there are over, I think, like. 200 vaccines in development right now for COVID. And I don't think you would see that quick and that fast of innovation without something like this that kind of, you know, relax the standards a little bit. Yeah. And I look, I think when when we do finally have a vaccine, we will, you know, we'll we'll see. There there are reasons why some of these standards are in place, both from an efficacy issue and a mortality issue, right? I mean, there are sometimes there are unintended consequences from these vaccines. But look, we are in a, obviously, with the number of deaths in this country, number of deaths around the world, and the effect on the economy, obviously there's a rush to get this stuff out. I think it's good that you know not just across, not just in, in terms of a vaccine, but just in getting business done. That some federal requirements have been relaxed. I find it. I don't know if they if they're just holding that right to re, they're reserving that right to come back later as a threat to not be too sloppy. Um, or if they re- really mean to enforce it, because it would be very strain. It, w- it would put quite a strain on the federal government if they have to go back and revisit everything that took place this calendar year because they were all done under expedited review. But I guess we'll see what happens. I, 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 I like the idea of this. The concern, of course, is that they're holding the right yeah. to come back and enforce later and enforce noncompliance later. So try to have all your ducks in a row 
regardless of, of the level of review that you're going through. I think the most important takeaway is that when that first vaccine gets rushed out, that you try it first and we see how that works out. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I am going to be the guinea pig. That's no problem. I, I mean, like we're, you know, this show is too valuable to the industry for us both to take it at the same time. I think we just need to stagger that out. Well, what I'd like to do actually is that I'll take it, but then I want to be the only one that has taken it. And then I want to sell my plasma on the street for like tens of thousands of dollars <laughs> before the next round of vaccines get released. I know I've sold my plasma for much less uh, back in the college days. So, well, isn't that the way you backpacked around Europe based on your savings? <laughs> All right, listen, I, enough of this. I, I, I do think it's a fascinating article. Ba- Baker Bots put it out under their Thought Leadership publication, and it's, a, it's a really good. It was published in July. Uh, check it out if you get a chance. But now we are going to get to our guest speaker today, the smooth sounds and stylings of John Holiday of Lighthouse, and he's going to help us discuss transformative cloud migrations, how to ensure a successful outcome. This was a great podcast. We recorded it a couple of days ago. John, you'll, you'll know what I'm saying when you hear John's voice. He is as smooth as they come, super bright guy, delivers everything just beautifully. You're going to get, hypnot- you're going to get hypnotized on this. The guy's voice is amazing. Anyway, enjoy the podcast. Okay, so now it's time to welcome our very special guest, today, uh, Mr. John Holiday from Lighthouse. John, uh, thanks for, for joining us, first of all. And second of all, would you mind giving us just a brief uh, introduction of who you are and what you do here at Lighthouse? Sure. Um, so I have a background in law and computer science, and uh, I've been at Lighthouse for about a year, uh, working primarily in the advisory services group, um, interacting with clients, but also focusing on product development at Lighthouse and providing technical support to the advisory team. And, and do you feel that people just feel safer with you just because of your voice alone? Because <laughs> I, 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 I feel like I'm in per- great hands for this podcast just by hearing the sound of your voice, but <laughs> I, I'm sure it makes our clients feel fantastic. <laughs> you know, John, maybe just to, to kick us off a little bit, you know, at Lighthouse, we're hearing a lot more about migrations, you know, probably more than we ever had before. For a company... You know, what kind of an opportunity does a migration provide to maybe, you know, reassess and transform processes and workflows within a company? Actually, um, cloud migrations, in my opinion, are, you know, sort of the, the ideal opportunity, maybe the last opportunity to restructure content so it's used efficiently within the organization. And I think of it sort of like this, you know, you have a computer that you've had for 15 years, right? Or maybe not that long, but you've, you've had it long enough that you've established bad habits for how you store your, your information, right? Because you really didn't have great tools, right? They, they continually evolve, you know, as you know, things are changing very quickly in our industry. And so what has happened in organizations, particularly larger organizations, it's like with you, if you if you tell someone they have to hang a, a a picture on the wall, but you you only give them you know a pen, right? They're gonna try to use that pen <laughs> to hang the picture on the wall. They, we tend to use the things that are most available to us, and that's that's really what's happened. The only real tool we've had to deal with information management has been email, right? And so we've we've gotten into the habit of using that email tool in a lot of different ways but probably not the most efficient ways. But in that time, um, the tooling has gotten a lot better. We just had, haven't had an opportunity to use it or to take advantage of it, particularly large organizations who have invested in older tools. So the only real time that we get to reassess how we're using information and whether we're using the right information, we're sort of you know, a cloud migration because we're actually moving the content 
is really the, the best opportunity to really take a pause, think about how we're using that content, think about how it flows through our organization before we establish another paradigm uh, with you know the new technology that we're moving to, because to this point we've essentially been MacGyver, right? We've been making the most of what we've what, what we've had, right? Um, yeah. So, how does information architecture come into play here then? Well, that's a perfect segue because you know information architecture is you know sort of not that well understood. It's kind of vague. You know, it's a vague term. It's not that specific. But really, when you think about architecture, you're sort of creating a space for, for things to go. And so information architecture, in the simplest case, is providing a place to put things, even if we don't really know where they belong, right? So I think of it as kind of a pipeline, right? When you, when you have a, a pile of papers on your desk, you can pretty much decide what goes in the trash and what goes somewhere else, right? That's a big bucket idea. But it's, it's really integral to thinking about information in an architectural sense. So if you had a pipeline where instead of, you know, you put some in the trash, but then you, you give some to the next person in line. And that next person in line is more of an expert around accounting, right? That person can pretty easily tell what's accounting information or irrelevant to the accounting and what isn't. So they're going to take out the things that are relevant to the accountant, right? And then they're going to pass the, the rest of that bundle, which is now smaller, onto the next person. Maybe that person's a lawyer. They're going to pull out all the legal stuff. And they keep pushing it down the line until it's really clear where that information belongs. So architecture, to me, for information is defining the roles. So we clearly have an accounting role. We clearly have a legal role. We might have a marketing role. We might have a sales role, right? These are the big buckets, and so we have to define our environment so that we have a place, so that if we do have a workflow, if we do have a pipeline, it can easily pass down that pipeline from one stage to the next and eventually end up where it belongs, basically taking it off of our desk. I noticed that you did that in reverse order from least cool to most cool, starting with accountants, <laughs> then legal, right. then marketing, then sales, who are obviously right. are, the, are, the, are the most cool in that group. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, but the question about information architecture really, you know, you can see that it, it ties in more to not so much what content is, which is kind of the old paradigm, trying to really fit every piece of content into a specific box, right? And it's more more toward what how the content is used, right? Because the same piece of content can be used in multiple ways, right? We can have a piece of content that is useful for the accountant, but it could also have some information that's useful for governance, right? And so the trick is sort of structuring the environment so that it can really adapt the content to the place within the organization that it can do the most good, right? And John, you know, cloud migrations are, are a big deal, you know, other than just actually, you know, getting the data moved from one location to another. What, what are some of the other benefits that companies can you know, use that time or that opportunity to take advantage of? Cultural transformation, you know. So it's not just about information architecture. It's about business cultural transformation, right? So moving to the cloud is, is, is enigmatic of digital transformation where people are having to rewire themselves to work within this new digitally driven economy. And when do we get an opportunity to do that? It's when we're, we're given new tools and shown how to use them. Well, that, that's part of the way. But if we're given new tools and told this is what we have to use, 
then it changes the dynamic and it changes the way that people interact around information. You look at the growth of something like Teams in the midst of a pandemic, right? So all of a sudden, the transformation that was already happening without the pandemic has now just been accelerated because we don't really have another way to interact with each other. And what's happening? The technology companies are having to grow suddenly to provide the, the, the platforms that we need to interact with one another, to, to, to do work, to share work, the collaborative environments, things that have been around for a long time that have just been underutilized are now coming to the, to the fore. So really, this cloud migration step, I think, is kind of the, the catalyst for that completing the work and, and doing that business cultural transformation that has to occur uh, in the midst of the digital transformation. So, you know, one of the things we like to do on, the, on this podcast is give our listeners best practices. And, and you've been sort of alluding to them this whole time, right? So but if, you, if you had, in a nutshell, could you, could you just give our audience uh, a list of best practices uh, or things to keep in mind for successful transformative cloud migration? First thing I would say is involve everyone in the transformation process, right? Yes, there's going to naturally be some sort of information architecture. Maybe it's not a rigorous information architectural effort, right? Because I think companies have a hard time justifying the cost of of thinking about classification. But I think if you if you involve the frontline workers as well as the IT group and, and embrace the notion that it's it's a broader transformation that's happening, not just the movement of data from one place to another, then what will happen is that you'll have to engage in conversations around how that content is being used. And for example, what, what, one of the things that, that, that I've done um, even prior to coming to Lighthouse is creating a three-day workshop where I, I choose a cross-section of people who are involved in frontline, you know, even from, you know, uh, shop floor type um, interactions with content, right? But sales has to be there, IT has to be there, legal has to be there, everyone who touches content that's flowing through the organization. And I lead them through a facilitated workshop where they're simply sharing how they interact with the content. Right? which may be hidden from, 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 if you look at the org chart, you're not going to get that information. If you look at the content only, you're not going to get that information. You really only get it when you get people in the room sharing, well, you know, I've been doing it this way for the past five years, and I'm not really interested in changing the way I do things. And when I get this thing from, from Joe, right, this is what I do, right? I add it, I change the name, I put it over here. So when you get people in a room and they're sharing how they interact with content, what emerges is a, a greater awareness in every individual how their contribution to the overall flow of information works for that organization or doesn't work for that organization. That, I think, is key to that business cultural transformation that has to occur in order for the, co the company or organization to realize the benefit of doing that information architecture work. It doesn't have to be even more precise than that, because what happens is it catalyzes greater awareness in every individual that they are part of the whole, first of all, and that they're not a silo of information. They're not going to be a place where information goes in and then stays there. It also helps to um, achieve this notion of retaining expertise in the organization, right? Because you're putting structure to it. So a best practice is one, involve everyone across the organization in the digital transformation process and the information architecture around that. 
and then also begin a conversation about how how information is being used. John, this is um, this has been really helpful, and you know we mentioned at the beginning of this that you know we're seeing more and more migrations. We know it's a it's a big deal for our clients, and I think that you know this has really given us something to think about, and and hopefully for a lot of our listeners too. You know, maybe just do a, a quick recap. You know, migrations shouldn't be looked at as something that are just painful. You know, it's it's an ideal opportunity to update how information is stored and, you know, reassess the tools, you know, that companies are using. Migrations also give the opportunity to enact a real cultural transformation within a company and really relook at how information governance is handled. As far as best practices, I, I think you brought up a great one, you know, involve everyone. You know, I love that idea of kind of like the cross-functional team that includes end users and kind of everyone in between to help really redefine how, you know, content is used, tools that might be helpful, and just kind of giving each person, you know, more of a stake in the outcome and learning how to maintain information a lot more. This has been really helpful, John, and just want to thank you so much for joining us today. No, it's my pleasure. Yeah, I got to say, I got to say from, you know, this is the first podcast where I usually learn something on these podcasts, but this is the first one where I felt like it was a cathartic experience because I don't know if it was the content or the smoothness of your delivery. But when you said we have to make sure that every person knows that they're part of the whole and not individually siloed, I was like, wait, are we talking about, what are we talking about here? Because I'm starting to feel like I'm at one with the universe with this. Well, you put me in like a meditative state, John. I, I, I think I was hypnotized for a second there. I was starting to, you know, I was starting to feel like, you know, everything is everything. I'm starting to feel, but you know, what the bleep do we know is getting into a whole quantum mechanics thing here. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. You were fantastic. And um, I think the audience is really going to enjoy it. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for bringing us uh, closer to the singularity. Hey, party people. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. Please, please help us keep the party going. Subscribe, like us, talk about us with your friends. We appreciate your support and let's keep Long Candor going. Thanks. Thanks.